As we get started this evening, and if you are not familiar, my name is Timothy Works. As I said, pastor of the Liberty Missionary Baptist Church in Burton, Michigan, and the church sends their greetings. And my wife in particular, who was not able to come with me, said to say hello to everybody. Just a little background because it leads into this. I was born and raised in the bluegrass area of Kentucky, uh, outside of Lexington and Fayette County. And as a teenager, the Lord saved me by His amazing grace. Uh, I was baptized and became a member of the Bryan Station Baptist Church there in Lexington, Kentucky. And being a new convert and a new church member, one of the first things they did, they gave me a little book to read. A little red booklet. It's called The Trail of Blood. It was... Uh, published by J.M. Carroll, I believe it was in 1913, when the, this book was first published. Uh, it's still being published. Uh, here's one copy. I see there's about the same size, but read like this, back there on your shelf in the back, that you all are putting out. The Trail of Blood, following the Christians down through the centuries or the history of Baptist churches from the time of Christ, their founder, to the present day. Well, I read that little book, and it inspired a passion in me for God's people, the history of His people, and his church down through the ages. And I began to read other books. And so this series that I'm going to be presenting here is the results of studying this for the last 50 years or better. And um, if you know, if you're familiar with this book, and I hope everybody here is, uh, there's a bunch of them back there in the back, if not, but in the back of this book, he created a chart for that history. And as you can see, I've made, for my presentation, I've made my own chart over here. And it follows the basic outline of this. I've just added some things, added some color to it. But I added some events and things. And his original uh, chart only went through... 1900. I noticed in the chart, uh, in the, the book you have back there, you've added 2000 to it. So uh, that's a little bit, uh, that made me curious. I want to see what this one has. Yeah, this one has uh, 2000 as well. I hadn't caught that. But um, taking it on through uh, 2000. So we'll kind of come back to that chart in a little bit. But our purpose in this study is to share with you a small portion in the time that we have. There, a lot has happened in the last 2,000 years. I mean, that, that's a lot of uh, people and places and dates and things to, to cover. A lot has happened. 
And so we can only kind of highlight the highlights uh, in tonight and then four more messages, lessons on this. And so, do bear with me and follow. I'd like to start in Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy. And verse 7. Um, verse 7 says, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he will show thee. Thy elders, and they will tell thee. Say, why study history? Why study this? Well, evidently, God thought it was important. And as His people, we need to understand that history. Uh, Somebody, uh, and I forget who, I have used this. uh, uh, I did a series in our church called History is His Story. And it is. Now, the world doesn't see history from that perspective. And that's the reason they don't understand history. And now they don't want to know it. And they're trying to rewrite it to suit their present day beliefs. But just because you rewrite something doesn't go back and change what really happened in the past. And one of the things, and I'm digressing a little bit here, but one of the things I've learned from Scripture and from life, the Scripture says there's nothing new under the sun. Now, there may be some technological advances that we have today that they didn't have a hundred years ago, But primarily what this is talking about, human nature does not change. And so humanity, every generation, has to deal with the same issues. And it's important to understand what worked in the past and what didn't work in the past. And if it didn't work in the past... Leave it alone. Don't try it. If it worked in the past, it was successful, that's a good place to start. History is important. And so he says, you know, remember. Don't forget. Remember the days of old. He said, ask your fathers. What was it like when you were a teenager? What was it like when you was growing up? What are the lessons you learned? And ask the elders. Those, the generation before that. That's one of the interesting things too in studying the scriptures and how much it talks about generations. And when you look how generations overlapped, you can have three, maybe four generations 
that overlap. And so the, the first generation has an influence upon the, that third and fourth generation. And that's the reason God says in the Scriptures, He uses that very phrase concerning the wicked and the just to the third and the fourth generation. Because when you look and you study, that's how long they overlapped one another. You know, and you see that today. You know, my, I'm a one generation, my children, I have grandchildren, I now have great-grandchildren. There's four generations alive at once. Now how long I'll have to overlap my great-grandchildren, I don't know. But that's important, and we've gotten away from that. It is the responsibility of the elders to pass on the knowledge, the wisdom, and the truths that they've received from their elders. That's why Paul told Timothy, said, the things that you've learned from me, and you've heard them in front of many witnesses, and you, so you know where it comes from. You know it. You teach the same thing, not something else. You teach those very same things to faithful men who in turn will be able to teach others also. You pass it on down from generation to generation. And that's what we want to to do here. So remember the days of old. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16 is... One of my favorite verses, and yet it ends so sadly. Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, wherein is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. You know, there's a lot of different life choices that are presented to us. And this generation is being presented a lot of different uh, choices. And so the Scripture's admonishing you to stand in the way that is to, to look and observe it all the different ways, and then to ask, what are the old paths? Here's all these dear ways, but what's the old paths? Why? Because he said that's the good way. And if you walk in it, you're going to be blessed. You'll have peace. You'll have rest for your souls. The sad thing is Israel answered, we'll not walk therein. And unfortunately, that's the answer of a lot of people today. They won't even bother to ask for the old paths. They don't want anything to do with the old ways. But all the more reason, those that have received the truths that have been handed down, the things that we believe, that we teach, from the Scripture, from the Word of God, did not originate with Baptists in America, they were handed down to us 
And it is passed on to those Baptists that came from the old world and came to America. They brought it with them. And it had been passed down to them over many generations. Through toil and strife and torture and blood, they preserved it with their lives. To be able to pass it on to their children and their children's children. And it was passed on down and it has come and it's been passed down to us. And like every generation or groups of generations before us, it has become our responsibility to learn these things, to stand for them, and to keep them as they were delivered, and to pass it on that way to the next generation. Hebrews 8.5 While it's dealing with an Old Testament subject, remember, it's the Apostle Paul speaking to New Testament Christians when he makes this point. And he's making a point that for us to learn from this, that it's an example set for us to follow. For see, saith he, that thou makest all things according to the pattern that was shown to thee in the mount. Paul is reminding them this was the admonition that was given to Moses. Moses was shown a pattern. And when he was to assemble the, the tabernacle, it was to be according to the pattern that was shown to him in the mount. When he went up and met God face to face, and God gave him the Ten Commandments, God gave him the pattern he was to follow for the building of the tabernacle. And he was at, before he started, he was admonished and reminded, you make sure that when you build this, you build it according to the pattern that was shown to thee in the mount. Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19. Jesus said to Peter that upon this rock, and he wasn't talking to, about Peter, he was speaking to Peter, But Peter was not the rock he was talking about. He was making a pun. God has a sense of humor. Now, we are created in the image and likeness of God. We have a sense of humor. Ours is corrupt, but he has a sense of humor. His is holy. But he was making a pun, a play on Peter's name. Peter meant a little pebble, a little stone. He says, You're just a little stone. And and that went back, you know, he had to remind him. I get too sidetracked on different things. But the disciples had been sent out and they came back and Jesus asked them, said, Whom do men, you've been out, you've been through the countryside, you've talked to people. So who does the multitudes say that I am? They said, well, some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Some say, you know, Isaiah or uh, Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. Some even think you're John the Baptist come back to life. And the world today, they don't know who Jesus is. There's every idea and thought floating around out there, nothing new under the sun. But Jesus asked them, said, but whom do you say that I am? And of course, Peter spoke up. 
Thou art the Christ. You know, the promised one, the Messiah, the Son of God. That was correct. What Jesus, don't get puffed up, Peter, because you had the right answer. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. So, but my Father, which is in heaven, he kind of, then he said, and upon this rock, he said, thou art Peter. You're a little pebble. Upon this rock, this bedrock, this foundational stone, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're here to preach the Bible. We're here to exalt Christ. So why teach on the church? Why is that so important? It was important enough for Jesus to build it. He has a purpose for it. It was a part of His plan. He said, I'll build my church. He didn't say, I'll build a church. Now, the word there in the Greek is ecclesia, which I'm sure most of you know, familiar with that word, ecclesia. He didn't say, I'm going to build the ecclesia. He didn't say, I'm going to build a ecclesia or an ecclesia, like all the other ecclesias, because there's a lot of ecclesias in the world. But he said, I'm going to build my ecclesia. This one's going to be unique. It's going to be different. It's going to have a a whole other purpose for being here. It's going to be mine. And if Jesus thought it was important enough that He establish it, it should be important to us as God's people to understand and know what it is. And why it's here. And so that's why we want to have this study. Now, let us take a minute. Because we use the word ecclesia, we use the word church. And to the average person, neither one of those really, they have an understanding of it. They have an understanding, they think of the word church. But usually what people mean by the church is the building or the denomination. And neither of those is the church. Or I should say neither of those is the ecclesia. And so, first of all, we all need to be on the same page in understanding when we talk about the church, the church that Jesus built... And by the way, I use that phrase, but that comes from another book that was written by Roy Mason, The Church That Jesus Built. So I borrow that phrase, but I'll give credit to who coined it. Um, So that we understand when we use that, we talk about the church and how to recognize it, that we know that we're all talking about the same thing. So let us define what Jesus meant. By Ecclesia. A scriptural church, the church that Jesus built, by biblical definition, 
is a local, visible, called out assembly. An assembled, authorized, autonomous body of scripturally baptized believers who have been organized or fitly framed together to carry out the commission. And and we can go to the scriptures there, Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through 22. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And actually I was looking um, back over in chapter 2. Uh, ver- yeah, there was chapter 2, verse 20, 21, 22, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, that's that rock, that foundational, in whom all the building... Now a lot of people want to take that and apply this to this idea of a universal invisible church. The Greek does not bear that out. Now I'm not really a Greek scholar, I, but... Uh, Robertson's uh, Word Pictures of the New Testament uh, gives this as speaking of each individual, each several building. Not one big building, but each individual in, uh, are in whom all the building or each individual building fitly framed together Groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. That fitly framed together. Sometimes we read over that. But the scripture talks about the church. It's not just a, a group of people coming together because they want to. There was a process. In which we use the term today. They were organized. And the scripture thought they were fitly framed together. Things were set in order. You see. That was what constituted a church. They had been evangelized. They were baptized. That is, they were immersed in water upon a profession of faith by one that was authorized and sent out to do so. And then those disciples were fitly framed together. They were gathered and instituted a church. And at that point, they became an autonomous body in their own right. And notice what he says here. In whom ye also. See, he was making a general statement about churches in general. And then he said, and you, all, you at Ephesus have been made into a church also. That what I've said in general about all the building or each individual building applies to you specifically as well. And so we take and extrapolate from that, that it applies to us as well, to the church here. And the other churches represented that each individually, this applies to you. This is how your church came into being. 
and to carry out the commission, Matthew 28, 18, and 20. You know, he said, and I like to combine that with Mark. Matthew, he says, he actually, uh, the commission was to make disciples, to disciple all nations. It says teach, but the Greek word there is to disciple. They were to disciple all nations. Mark says, you do that by going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature. And that every creature doesn't mean every cat, dog, horse, cow. I'd wondered about that. I knew that's not what it meant, but I looked it up, did a little word study. And, and the word there has to do with the creation, with every inhabited part of the creation. Every place that's inhabited. If there's people there, go and preach to them, is basically what he's saying. So, uh, there was three prepositional phrases. Going. That was the pre- going and preaching the gospel. This is how you make a disciple. You go and you preach the gospel. Those that gladly receive the word, those that are saved, you baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. And then they are added to that church. They are fitly framed, made part of that church. And now you teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Teach them all things. Not just the part that people like to hear. Not just what is socially acceptable in this particular period of time. He said, but you teach them all things whatsoever I have commanded. Whatsoever. That's the commission. That's our work. To keep the ordinances as delivered. 1 Corinthians eleven two. Paul said, keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. That's like... Uh, where Moses was admonished, said, Be sure that you make all things according to the pattern that was shown to thee. There was a pattern that was shown, that's demonstrated in the Scriptures. And this is what was delivered, and what was handed down. And this is what has been handed down from generation to generation, through those 2,000 years of history to us today. Because there have been a people in every generation that have been faithful to this work that has been given to them. They've been faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ who loved them and gave Himself for them to redeem them and to give them eternal life. And they are grateful for that and they're obedient to that. He's not only their Savior, He's their Lord. And they yield themselves in obedience to Him even at the cost of their lives of being tortured and put to death in the most cruel ways imaginable. Yet they would rather suffer that than to compromise or change the Word of God. That's our heritage that's been handed down and preserved for us. That's what's it's important. That people understand the importance of it and take these things seriously. And the faith, that body of doctrine, the teaching, all things whatsoever I've commanded you. As Paul said there, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All Scripture. That included the Old Testament because that's all they had at the time he said that. So we believe in using the Old and the New Testament as part of that, that, that body of doctrine and teaching. That is the faith. 
that began in the Garden of Eden. When God slew animals, uh, shed their blood, and clothed them with the skins of animals, and promised a, a Savior, a Redeemer. Abel understood what that meant. That's the reason he brought an acceptable sacrifice. You see. So that was the gospel. So, well, they had a different gospel. No, they didn't. Paul said, you know, one of the phrases that always stuck out in my mind is where he was writing. uh, And he said, the gospel was preached unto them as well as unto us. That is, us being the New Testament, the believers of his day, we were hearing the same gospel that the people in the Old Testament had heard. They heard it first. That's what all that sacrificial system, the tabernacle, the temple, and all this, that's what that was. That was a visual aid that presented the gospel to the people. And those that understood it when they came and brought an offering, they were doing so in faith. By faith, he offered a more excellent sacrifice. There's some that did it because they thought that by doing it, that was going to make them acceptable because they was keeping the commandments. They missed the point. Anyway, I digress again. Um, but we're admonishing Jude 3. To earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered. It was only delivered once. And now it was delivered to his church. Paul said to Timothy, that thou mayest know how thou ought to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Those things was committed to the church to be the stewards of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. We were given a special uh, stewardship. And the, the scriptures, the word of God, the gospel, the faith was delivered to the churches to keep, to preserve, to defend, and to proclaim till He comes back. That won't be too long. I don't think that's very far away. Not at all. And something else. Ephesians 4, 3. We to do all that while at the same time endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. A particular ministry, the work of the Holy Spirit is not limited in this, but with all the things that He does, I believe there's a particular ministry. When Jesus walked the earth, And he gathered his disciples about him, and they followed him around. That was his church. And he was present with them. He is their head. He is their source of authority. He was their source of knowledge and understanding and, and direction, what to do and what not to do. But because of the nature of the work of the church that it was to be given, to go into all the world for the church at Jerusalem to duplicate itself over and over again, and those churches to be able to duplicate themselves. Jesus Christ could not bodily be with each one. 
So on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the church was already there. It wasn't organized on the day of Pentecost. It was organized by Jesus Christ during His ministry. But there was a period of ten days. Because after His resurrection, He, he walked with them for forty days. And Pentecost was 50 days later from the beginning. So there was only 10 days that they was without their head being present with them. On the day of Pentecost, what happened was he returned in the form of the Holy Spirit. I say in the form of, because when he speaks of the comforter, the paraclete, the phrasing there... He says he's going to send the Holy Spirit, but then he says, I will come to you. And there's another phrase where he speaks of the, a comforter, another comforter. And from what I understand in, in the Greek, the another is another one just like me. So now the Holy Spirit takes up a presence, an empowering presence in the church. It's his presence. He, he's to teach us. He's to guide us into all truth. He's there to lead us, and we're to depend upon that leadership of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that the presence of the Holy Spirit does is uh, create a a, a unity and a a spirit. That's the reason He warned them. said, if anybody comes and they bring another spirit, said, you don't want anything to do with that. And I'll get to that in the, the next... Lesson. I need to kind of hurry up here. But we see these things that were uh, delivered, uh, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Sometimes we leave that off. That's an important part of it too, I believe. And so as we seek to follow the church that Jesus built through the ages, we need to understand what that pattern was. What is it that we're identifying here? If it meets this pattern... It was a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If it doesn't meet this pattern, it's not. He said, my church, to distinguish it from others. So, this is how His church is defined in the New Testament. And this is what will define His church through all ages. He said, unto Him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages. Another... uh, Item that sometimes I know I overlooked it for a long time, and then finally it dawned on me when we observe the Lord's Supper in the phrasing there. As oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Now that implies that he knew his church would continue till he came. Observing the ordinances as delivered. See, that's, that's kind of included in that, what that statement, the implication of that statement. That there would be churches of Jesus Christ just like He organized them. In these essential identifying traits. Which is what He promised unto God the Father be glory in the church. By Christ Jesus. As we said, our our purpose, we want to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to glorify the Father. We want to 
exalt Him and lift Him up. We want to preach the truths of God's Word. God said, it's done through His church. And if you don't preserve the church, what's going to fall with the church? The gospel, the truths, the worship, the glory, all of that. It's important that we understand these things. It's important that we teach these things. It's important that our next generation receives and understands and also keeps these things. So, well, let me skip here. Jesus promised when He said, Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Um, Against His church. And that His church would continue as established throughout all ages. A continuous, uninterrupted existence. This is called perpetuity. So when you hear someone talk about the perpetuity of the church, this is what we're talking about. Jesus established His church during His ministry. And that church that Jesus established, as He has established it, has had a continual existence as an institution. The church at Jerusalem that Jesus established is no longer there. You know, it was destroyed or its members killed or scattered when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. but They destroyed the Jews, the city of Jerusalem... And they were scattered. So that church that was there is no longer there. There are churches there of various denominations today, but the church that Jesus built is not there. He didn't promise that to each individual church. And that's the reason it's important. Look, any one of the Lord's churches can deviate from, apostatize from the truth to the extent that they're no longer a church. That could happen to any. Brother Cecil and I was talking about some things. When we were younger, and he goes back further than me, but you don't have to go that far back. There was a t- We heard that these are the last days, the end times coming, the man of sin, the one world government and stuff. But we never in our wildest imagination ever imagined that America could fall to the degree that it has in just the last ten years or so. Not in America. That happens over in Europe. That happens to heathen nations. That doesn't happen to America. But it has. And there's a lesson in that. You know, He said... Be careful lest you fall from your own steadfastness. Don't think that as a church that we are beyond falling. If we don't pay attention and stand for and preserve these truths, you won't stand. And that's another reason. It's important. There will be churches here 
when the Lord comes back. But there's no guarantee that ours will be one of them. We hope that we, they will be. We trust by God's grace and mercy that we will be. But history, as we'll see, is full of churches that didn't. And that's how we got into this, the religious mess that Christianity's in today. Well, in the scriptures we're also given a pattern by which churches was organized. How a church replicates itself. And for the sake of the brevity and the time, I'm not going to go to all the scriptures. You should be familiar with them. But in the book of Acts, we see how the church at Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas out. God had called them to do a work. And they didn't just say, well, God called us to do this. Goodbye, we'll see you. We're going to go do this work. No. They brought it before the church. The, church, the Holy Spirit led the church to send, to authorize them to go and to preach the gospel and to baptize and to organize churches, which is what they did. And we have accounts then in uh, Acts uh, 15 where they went and they gathered in each of the cities they'd been and preached. They gathered those disciples. I believe they'd already been baptized. And then they organized them, set them in order, uh, and commended them into the hands of the Lord on whom they believed. They were autonomous, self-governing bodies at that point. Jesus Christ is your head. But they were fully functioning, autonomous churches. And that's the pattern. Paul in the book of Romans in chapter 10 talks about, He that calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's good to know. If you're lost... It's good to know that all you need to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Call on Him. Call on Him. Be like that publican in the temple. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Good thing I hadn't taken the cap off of that. Uh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what it means to call on the Lord. You heard that He gave His Son, sent His Son to die for your sins, that if you repent of your sins um, and and receive Him or or ask Him to save you, He will. All the Father giveth me will come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. The Lord used that verse to save me. And I came to Him. I called on Him. And the Lord saved me. And I believe He's promised... I mean, I just took Him at His promise. If you're lost, all you need to do is believe that and call on Him to save you. All that calleth, all that calleth, Him that cometh to me, I will no wise cast it. Paul said, all that calleth on Him shall be saved. But then he added... How are they going to call on Him in whom they've not believed? Got to believe call. And how are they going to believe on Him of whom they've not heard? 
They need to hear. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear that God sent His Son, Jesus, to die for their sins. And how will they hear without a preacher? They need somebody to tell them. And how shall they preach except? Except they be sent. How are they sent? Acts 13 tells you how they're sent. The church at Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas. They authorized them, gave them authority to go and preach the gospel, baptize and organize churches, and that's what they did. And we call that process succession. So there's two terms you need to, to know. Perpetuity and succession. And when we're doing this study, that's what we're talking about. The perpetuity and succession of Baptist churches from the time of Christ to the present day. The history of His church. Well, I was going to just briefly maybe... But this chart at the top, along here, and the bottom, are the dates divided by centuries. The first century from 0 to 99 A.D., second century 100 to 199 A.D., and so on, top and bottom. I've also got it divided, as history divides this, ancient history, medieval history, and modern history. And modern history doesn't begin with the Industrial Revolution. It, it, actually, modern history began as they mark it before that. And so that's how we'll teach it. We're breaking it up into four 500-year blocks of time. The ancient period, then the medieval is actually uh, a thousand years, so we break it up into the Dark Ages Part 1 and Dark Ages Part 2 and try to cover... Uh, that and then the modern, the latter part uh, in under the modern. So we thank you for your time. But let me, there's one other thing, real quickly. In when Jesus said that about the gates of hell shall not prevail, over in the first, second Thessalonians, second Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let till he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed. The mystery of iniquity. Now that's an interesting word study. And what I got out of it is, the way I like to phrase it, is the hidden agenda of the wicked one. Satan has... An agenda, too. He has a plan. And his ultimate goal, as brought out in Second Thessalonians a little earlier, is to set in the temple of God in Jerusalem, showing himself that he is God, demanding that he be worshipped above everything else that is worshipped. And everything he's doing is aimed toward bringing that goal to pass. need to keep that in mind. 
If you don't understand that, you're not going to understand history, church history, world history, any of it. Because history is made up of these two agendas, God's and Satan's. And man is in the middle. And you need to understand that. And so that's another part of this chart. I've got little symbols here that represent the mystery. That's what that question mark there. The mystery of iniquity cropping up as we go through this history. We will close. And thank you again for the opportunity to be here. And I hope that we're able to give you some information, give you some scripture and encourage you in the things of the Lord, and most of all, in appreciating the wisdom, the mercy, the grace that God has bestowed upon us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you.